All right, welcome to the State of Games. I'm Dice Hate Me. And I'm Monkey238. And this is episode 34, or as we like to call it, the one about Gen Con, DC, and the WBC. Or the WBC, DC, and Gen Con. Right, because I know you're OCD and you have to have everything CDO <laughs> in alphabetical order, because that's you. It's not alphabetical. I didn't put it in alphabetical. Chronological, order. chronological alphabetical, which is how we're going to be talking about autobiographical, it. Autobiographical, whatever you want to call it. We're going to be talking about it in chronological order, right? Yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, so if, if that's I'm putting what you it chronological. Really? Yeah. We sound like moonlighting right now. It's kind of cool. Anyway, all right, so it's been a while, uh, but that's because we've been on the road for the past month visiting all sorts of places. Like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, home of the WBC, which w- is what we're talking w- about first. WWBC. <laughs> Yeah, and Washington, D.C., home mm-hmm. of Labyrinth Games. And Indianapolis, Indiana. Wait, I didn't go to Indy, but you did. I stayed home and worked. Yeah, well, somebody's got to make the big bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, we wanted to take now some time. Now knows who wears the pants. Oh, I think everybody knew house. that, even though you very rarely wear pants, unless you're going to do your little Twinkle Toes Ballet thing. What do I, what do I wear? Your little Twinkle Toes Ballet thing. No, I mean when I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> well, like right now you have on some boxer shorts that have little monkeys all over them. Oh, okay. Them. Exactly. Now everybody's picturing you in your boxer shorts. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. So anyway, we wanted to take some time and tell you all about our adventures abroad and especially talk about the many games we played in Lancaster. And D.C. And Indy and beyond in this time we've been away from you. So, are you ready, monkey? Uh, yeah, I'm right here. <laughs> all right. So let's do it. So this is going to be a little free form because we only have a loose outline. We've only jotted some couple of notes about things we did. But we want to start with the WBC because that's really where our traveling adventures began this summer. So how do you think the WBC changed this year from last year? The actual event? I don't feel like it really changed at all. Well, like our Not experience of it. Um, Actually, it didn't really feel much different. Yeah. I mean, last year we were kind of... Um, doing a little bit of promoting for Carnival and Viva Java, and this year it was Heartland. But I, I guess I do feel like we got to play a few more games this year than we did last year. We weren't we weren't there to promote our games as we were last year. That was kind of our intent. Right. Whereas this year, it just kind of, it just happened to be that we were able to play Heartland with a couple of folks. So. Yeah, it, I, it felt, I guess it felt comfortable because it was our second year really being there, but I think we felt more at ease with the flow of things, like, you know, just setting, you know, Heartland out on the table and, and engaging people and getting people to come over and play. But, yeah, I think you're right. We did get to play a lot more games. Although we we, we played quite a fair share last year, but it seemed like we played more unpublished games last year than published games. Mm-hmm. Um, we followed suit with that a little bit this year and getting to play one of Paul Owen's games. Um, but we didn't play... Uh, like last year we played the market and, um, stranded and, uh, states after the fall and, and a few other things, some of Josh Timken's games, things like that. But this year we didn't have as much of a chance to do that. And I'm wondering if that's just simply because we chose to kind of relax and just, you know, do our own thing this time around, or uh, if we just felt more comfortable in the atmosphere. 
I don't know, but I just realized something else that was different. What's that? We stayed at the Continental oh. instead of the Red Roof Inn, and that was It made all an the difference. <laughs> oh, man, seriously. Yeah, if you guys are considering going to WBC and you can't get a room at the Lancaster Host, which is where the actual convention is at, if you could, please do that because the road that passes between the, most of the hotels that are on the other side of the road is just it's so dangerous. It's like the the advanced level on Frogger trying to get across it. So even though we stayed at the Continental, which is across from the host, we still drove across the road to park at the at the Lancaster host so we wouldn't get run over. But the Continental was great. We got a free uh, free breakfast, huge breakfast buffet every morning. So we were able to load up on breakfast, not really have to worry too much about lunch, and then we were fine until about dinner. So that was a lot of fun. Um, so we enjoyed the Continental. A lot of people who were staying, or at least going to the WPC, were there. Um, so we got to hang out with a lot of people this year. Some we had not met before WPC last year. Some we've met since. But we were with like TC and Tim and Luke, who we didn't know at this time last year. That's true. When did we meet Luke? I think was it at Unpub. Possibly was on pub. I think it was. I think it pub. was, yeah. Um, but John Moeller was there this year. Of course, Sean and Jackie, our faithful convention companions. And right. Um, ben Ross said who this was an anniversary for us. We met him last year. Right. And Paul Owen. Jason. That was an anniversary as well. We met yep. him last year. Yep. And Jason... Crognolly. Yeah. I still don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> of playboardgames.com. Right. Richard Bliss, who we met last year. Right. Um, Michael Taylor, who we'd met for the first time up at PAX East, but he decided right. to come down to WC and kind of chill and hang out with us, which was great. And uh, we had met Ken Grazier and Sam at Origins, Origins right. but they came down to WBC to hang with us. Is there anybody else you can think of? Um... I'm sure oh, we're Jason, Jason Tagmeyer. Jason Tagmeyer, who we first met at Unpub right. as well. Some of you may know Jason is the one of the designers for Pixel Lincoln. Um, gosh, there's so many people. Oh, we met um, AEG Man. Oh, Jeff Quick. Jeff Quick, yes. right. Got a chance to uh, meet Jeff Quick and hang out and actually try Smash Up at WBC, which um, I, I can kind of touch on a little bit about Smash Up, but... There's going to be a, a big review of Smash Up this week on DiceHateMe.com, so uh, any one of you who are interested in that, I played WB, or, uh, I played the, I played Smash Up at the WBC, and then I took Smash Up to Gen Con when I went and played a lot of Smash Up there, so uh, it's, a, it's a really fun game. Uh, again, it's very geeky, but very easy to play, so I would highly recommend it. So that was one of the games, but you kind of just sat there on that one. You just you didn't play. I wasn't invited to play. I was sitting there, and then he didn't deal me. <laughs> well, it was only a four-player, and everybody else was, like, clamoring for the cards. So they... That's okay. I didn't like it. Well, you didn't play it. No, I don't like that style of game. What is that style of game? You don't even know what style it's it is. It's like... Cards with words. Cards with and, words. And, like, do things with them. Yeah, but, okay, and we're going to get to this in a little bit in the podcast, but Seasons is a game it's with cards, cards with, words. with words. I know, and that's the only one that I've liked so far, of cards with but words games. Then you don't know if you like Smash Up or not, because you didn't really play. I can really tell play. by the play. It was, like, it didn't seem very well balanced at all. It was like TC was killing you all. It was but like TC, TC didn't would, win. Yeah, but he'd play like 50 cards, and you'd play one, and then it would get erased. Didn't matter, because I still got a better score than TC did. 
Whatever. For once in your life. I can play better cards with words games. <gasps> oh, and social games. I always beat TC at social games. So there. Anyway. I think there's more people. I think there were a bunch of people that we met. There was Eli and Mario, who were friends of right. um, Ben's and Tim's, respectively. Oh, we met Catherine. Friends. Oh, oh, Catherine. Yes, of course. Yeah, well, she was actually a really big competitor. Yeah. Um, which we brings me... Games. With her a lot. Yeah, exactly. Which brings me to like one of the biggest games we actually played at WBC, which was Paul Wynn's East India Company. What do you mean biggest? Well, like, like the it felt like the deepest. one of the deepest, meatiest games that we played. And the thing that was cool about that game was it's a prototype that Paul had only really had about five playtests of before we got a chance to play it. So why don't you tell everybody what East India Company is about? Because you do a better job at it. Shut up. Come on, tell them. No, I'm not good at People want to hear the monkey summary. I'm not good at this. Come on. Yeah, you are. You're so good at this. I'm not. I was looking at the board upside down. You're the lay monkey. You know what? You know, you can describe it for everybody. Okay, there's a board, (laughs) and it's basically a flat world map, and it's, I, I would say, I guess it's Eurocentric. That's kind of home, is Europe. Yeah, that's true. Right? Um, and then all of the other continents minus Antarctica. Well, yeah. Wasn't a whole lot of trading going on with Antarctica with East India Company, but. Yeah. Um, are laid out and you are trying to make money and buy and sell goods such as timber and ivory and tea and. Spices. But we didn't really get a chance to do spices because they were too rare. There was another one, too. What was the one right above lumber? You mean timber? There was Timber, right. Sorry. Timber. Oh, wait. There was one right above it. That yeah, was... there was. It was almost as... Com- tobacco. Tobacco, yes, right. Yes, tobacco. So all of the goods have a different um, value associated with it. Right. And then in order to travel, you are traveling actually by water. And um, there were three sizes of boats... One which held one good, one which held two, one which held three, and their respective sizes also reflected how how fast they could move right. in a turn. Right. So part of the strategy was um, figuring out what you wanted your fleet made up of to most efficiently travel around. And then there was also um, a dividends track, so you could actually paid every round to get a certain amount of money in return at the end of the game. Right. And that's what I lovingly refer to as the Sherilyn track, because that's exactly, I mean, that's what you focus Cause on. Because I almost win on that. Well, exactly. It's kind of reminiscent a little bit of At the Gates of Luoyang, where you have to make sure that you're optimizing how much you're spending every turn so you can make sure that you pump up your dividends. Um, and again, it's a little bit of a pickup and deliver system, I and mean, you're picking up goods and you're bringing them back to a certain port that has a demand for those goods. The cool thing that was actually adding to the mechanics of the game is that if you happen to deliver a good that someone else has delivered in that turn at the same time, the demand for that good falls. So you don't get as much payment for it. So your timing uh, as to how you deliver that good is very important as well. I thought it was a really good game. Yeah, I really, really liked it. And even though this was the fifth playtest, this was actually a game according to Paul, that was developed based on another game that he had worked on that he just didn't 
he didn't feel like his mechanics worked well with the theme that he had chosen. Yeah, it was the gold on Mars. Right, and yeah. he, it just wasn't working out. So he's he shifted his theme a little bit and refined the mechanics to fit mm -hmm. that. And yeah, his wife told him to, to focus on something that he knew, like maybe do historical. something historical. Yeah. And so he was always fascinated with the East India Trading Company, and so he started looking into the shipping routes and what kind of goods they all uh, you know, uh, sold around the world. And that kind of developed into what he was doing at his East India Company, so it started gelling much more. And, um, yeah, I thought it was really good. He's currently working on a new board that's going to refine the prototype much more, do more playtesting for it. I, I actually have high hopes for the game yeah, as it continues. Yeah, I think it's it. an excellent game. And that's another person we met was one of his friends. Keith. Keith, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. Keith played, us, played with us at the East India Company. Um, really good guy. Uh, we just had a really good time. And John ended up John winning and that. John Catherine. Yeah, John beat me by one point yep. because I had a loan. Yep, you had a loan you couldn't pay off. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, again, keep your eye open for East India Company. We'll probably have more uh, about it on the podcast on DiceHateMe.com as Paul continues to develop it. So, we also played a ton of other games while we were at the WBC. We'll just touch on a few of them. One we played a lot of was Sentinels of the Multiverse. And... The one thing that we found out about Sentinels, I really like Sentinels, and I like the world that is revolved around Sentinels. Like They've done a fantastic job of creating the comic universe and really getting enriched in the characters. But what we found playing Sentinels is that with five players, it seems a little overbalanced. Um, like It seems to uh, benefit the heroes much more, especially if you sit in a certain order, if you have a certain mix of heroes. Um, so both the times that we played with five players, uh, we didn't really have that much trouble with the villain. Mm -mm. Especially the first one. Oh, Baron Blade was so easy to I beat. I mean, I yeah. think that was um, somehow we we didn't intend to maximize the way we were sitting. It was just like, okay, which hero do you want to play? Which hero do you want to play? Right. And it just panned out that way. And um, I don't know. It was like too easy peasy. Oh uh, yeah, we totally kicked butt. And so I think that um, actually with some of the expansions that that the Sentinels guys, Christopher Bedell and his company, have added in. They've started up up in the the um, difficulty quotient of things, adding more things in. I mean, the thing about that is that you have so many variables. If you're playing with the right mix of heroes, you're playing with a lot of people who are used to cooperative play, um, you have a weaker villain or you get a bad mix of the villain stack. Um, there's all sorts of variables that can happen in a game to make it a little easier versus hard. But we found that the three-player game is extremely, extremely challenging. Um, we've not tried it with four players yet, and five players seems to be, at least the two that we played at WBC, a little overbalanced toward the heroes. So um, I'll be curious to actually try it as a four-player game. I'd like to try it again as a three and just to see if we can, now that with the challenge of learning how some of the villains work and some of the environments work, if a three-player can actually overcome that challenge and really, really beat it back. So... That was one of the games we played. Still a fantastic game. Uh, got the chance to talk with Christopher again at Gen Con. He'll be at PAX this coming week. And uh, we look forward to uh, just getting to know him and, and the company better. So we mentioned Smash Up, which you said that you didn't like cards with words. But I'm going to tell you right now that Smash Up is one of the best games I've played this year. I really enjoy it. I think it's easy to pick up. It's easy to play. Again, I'm not going to talk a bunch of on the podcast about it, but I'll have a full review of it on DiceHateMe.com this week. Um, I had a really good time playing, even though TC was completely annoying with the deck that he had. <laughs> he was uh, playing Wizards and Robots, which was basically uh, a way to look through his deck and find all the little robots that he could put out about 50 in a turn. 
Um, but we played a lot at Gen Con, had a ball. A lot of people bought it at Gen Con. I would keep an eye on it in your local game store. So we also played, what else, Sleeping Lemmings? We did. That was Interesting. random. Yeah, it was very random. We didn't. I didn't know that we were going to play Leaping Lemmings. No. Who bought it? I Michael Taylor. Was it Michael that had it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's he right. He bought it. Yeah, yeah. And we decided to play it. And I'm not going to write Leaping Lemons off. I think... I thought some, it was fun. Some people might, but it was a little chaotic to play the first time with six people. Right. There were just so many chits to keep up with. And... um Michael did a good job of reading the rules really quickly because I, I have a feeling there are some there's probably some fine details that we missed that might have streamlined what how we were playing. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, it was it's definitely a, a first game play, and it's a GMT game. So anybody out there who knows GMT knows that most of the rule books read like refrigerator rule books. It's like crazy to try to work through them, and Michael did a fantastic job mm-hmm. of teaching it. Um, yeah, we had a full six-player game, which I thought, again, was a little chaotic, like you mentioned. I think probably five and less would be the best for that game. Yeah, and Sean and Jackie played, actually, a two-player game, and they really enjoyed it. And so. it was fast. Yeah, it was super, whereas ours was... Oh, ours took a while. It was dragging. It was about a little, almost over two hours. Was it really? Yeah, it was a long time. And we're talking about guiding lemons to a, lemmings to a cliff right. and pushing them over for points. I mean... The the theme is kind of funny and and the whole game is actually pretty charming for mm-hmm. for you know for what it is and um so I I would recommend checking it out if you get a chance you know try yeah, that yeah I would too um, we mentioned that we played a ton of the Great Heartland Holland Company while we were there we we introduced that to a lot of people and a lot of people had a really good time uh, there was one guy who didn't but there's always one or two people. I think that one guy doesn't like a lot of things in life. <laughs> Based on it wasn't it wasn't what he was saying because of course we're always welcome to feedback, of course. Feed, yeah, yeah. But it was just how he was saying it and not really and some of his comments were just a little bit um well, it was like he wanted to play a different game. Yeah, it was, and it was a little just kind of unresearched. He wasn't really paying attention to what the rules actually were. Or, right, right. Like, he'd make suggestions that made absolutely no sense, where, like Chris just said, it's like, uh, make your own game, dude. <laughs> you know? Like, everything you're saying is just like, this game is not your game. It, right. Which is fine. Right, it, you know? yeah, it's but totally But he was fine. just a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Crumudgeon? Oh, curmudgeon? Is that right? A little bit. I, I don't know that that's the correct... I, the way I would describe it is he had a certain aesthetic or game in his mind and he wanted to suggest ways to turn that game or turn Heartland into, into that game. He also really didn't understand the whole publishing process. So when we were talking about like the cost of the game oh, yeah. <laughs> everything that, happened, you know, that we could do for it, he was thinking like a $10 or $12 yeah, he's like, game. Pay, like, he's like, this is probably just a $10 game. And we're thinking, oh, well... You know, I mean, if we could produce 20,000 units of it, yeah, it would be fantastic. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just things that people have to kind of learn because they really don't understand. It's not really, you know, that he was being obnoxious about it. He just didn't understand fully what it was. But anyway, it's just one of those instances where he seemed to do okay at the game. He seemed to be okay while he was playing afterwards. He he just had comments that really weren't very constructive on our side. But we did play the game with quite a few people who had a lot of uh, fun and a lot of constructive criticism for the game. 
And um, actually, one thing that we did at the WBC is we continued to refine the scoring system, and mm-hmm. we realized that the four-player game should actually had a, a lower scoring uh, end game, which turned the game to a really tight four-player mm-hmm. game, which we enjoyed quite a bit. Um, it cut the time back a little bit. It made it feel like there was just that 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 tension where you had one more turn where you could do everything, whereas before it was lasting a little bit too long and you could do more than what yeah, you wanted. Yeah, there's a little bit more urgency now. Yes, exactly. So that was actually really good. Um, so, again, we usually, like before we launched the campaign, we had Heartland in a place we really wanted, but, again, through repeated play-ins of four-player games at WBC, we said, you know what? We're going to take the feedback we have from these games and continue to refine it, and we did. And that small little tweak has made a better game. So one of the big hits of the WBC... Kind of the little darling of the WBC. Yes, fantastic game is Vegas. It's awesome. It is awesome. And I'd like to thank Thor from Gamesurplus.com. Um, he hooked us up with Vegas. I got in touch with him a while back because I knew he was one of the only places that would have it because it's only available in Europe right now. It doesn't have an American distributor. It's by Leah. Um, and Thor said he was going to get some in and he would have some right before the WBC. So I made arrangements for him to, uh, to pick up from him at WBC. So he delivered on Saturday, which was fantastic because it, it provided the perfect filler for us while we were playing epic games of letters from Whitechapel and a couple other things. But I Vegas... he delivered it on Friday. No, it was Saturday. We only played it one day? Yep, one day. But we played a ton that one day. Oh, right. That was the white... That was Letters the White from Whitechapel Chapel Day. day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we played that game a lot that day then. Yeah. So why don't you describe to people who don't know what why Vegas are you is? Why do me do all this? Because you're the lay monkey. I'm not good at this, <laughs> Yes, though. you're awesome at it. It makes no Look, sense what I say. words with cards. Words with cards. I mean, <laughs> cards with words. Cards with words. It makes no sense what I say. It totally does. Okay, so in Vegas, you're in... <laughs> that's Vegas as in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, so there's... Six casinos, which are, you know, designed after, you know, Caesar's Palace and... The Golden Nugget. Luxor. You know, you're... Yeah. There's you're, six mainstays of Vegas on right. the cards. Yeah. And each casino has a number assigned to it, one through six, which correspond with the pips on the dice. Um, every player is a different color. I think it's a five-player game. Up to five players, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two to five. Two to five, right. And it's very simple. Every round consists of each player rolling their dice. Every player starts with eight and then placing them on the corresponding casino that has the pips that are on the dice. And the thing is, like, okay, say I rolled four ones, a two, two fives, <laughs> and a six. I don't think that's eight, eight already. That's eight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I wanted to place my ones, I would have to place all four ones. Right. So I would go, and then the next person would go and do the same thing. And you do that until every player has placed all of their dice. And the way that you win the money that's assigned to each casino... Which, which is random. Which mm-hmm. is random. There's a method to it, but the values are random. Um, in order to win, you have to have the most dice on that casino if there's a tie those dice get removed and then the next person who has the most after that wins so there's a strategy involved because you know do you want to battle out the ones you know or do you try something else right um so it's it sounds very simple and and it is but i think what i'm saying is actually correct no it is correct um and the cool thing is when you play with 
two player, two or three players. Two, three, or four. Oh, really? Yeah, you can add the whites to the four-player game, too. I don't know if you're correct. I am correct. You divvy up two dice each. Oh. Um, you also play with this phantom player, and you just choose one of the other um, dice colors, and they recommend white. And <clears throat> you actually have to play that player as well, and that player collects money. And the cool thing, though, is you're, it's, it's like adding another level of decision-making. Okay, so in addition, if you have less than five players... Uh, they're also, you, they recommend you take the white dice out of the set, and let's say, for instance, that we played two players. You would have your your color dice, like I had blue, monkeys playing green, we would add four white dice to each of our mixes, and then we roll the dice. On that turn, we can decide to either place the white dice or our particular color dice, depending on what what was rolled. So the white dice can actually play defense. So again, if you start stacking up the white dice on a certain casino, you can block out the other person from getting it. But then again, you have to be very careful because you can also do the same thing to yourself. And they can do that to you as well. So it adds another level of complexity if you have less than five players, which actually increases the replayability and the playability of that particular game with two to four players. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of what they, they did for the game. Again, it's a very simple game. It was up for the Spill de Jars this year. It was runner-up to Kingdom Builder. And in my opinion, I actually think that it's a better game than Kingdom Builder. Uh, it's more approachable by a broad audience. It actually matches more of the categories that Spill de Jars stands for. Um, I think that, and I, matter of fact, this weekend we're going to my mom's cabin. I can't wait to take it up to there to play it with, with them. Mm -hmm. I think they'll have a blast with it. So, again, keep your eye open for Vegas. If you have a chance to get the German or the European version, go ahead and go for it. It has all the, uh, you know, it has six casinos that are real casinos. If they bring it to North American markets, they'll have to create fake casinos. Uh, and uh, they, it comes with English rules. If you get a chance, actually contact Thor at Gamesurplus.com. See if he can hook you up, and we highly recommend it. Do we not? We do. We highly recommend it. Yes. So, wrapping up quickly from Lancaster, we also played Cards Against Humanity at late, late at night, which was insane. Uh, we always split up into two groups. Yeah, we had so many people we had split into two groups, and we, we laughed and played for hours and just couldn't get enough of it. Um, one of our other uh, uh, mainstays that we love to play with big groups is Time's Up Title Recall. This was epic. I think we had we had 15 people or was so. Was it 15? Yeah, yeah, we had five... Um, was it 15? No, I don't remember. 15 or 16? Something like that. I don't know. We had like four or five groups competing against each other. Each yeah. team made up of three people. Um, and we won. We did win. That's right. It was me, you, and Luke. Yep. We were awesome. We had a fantastic time. If you've not played Time's Up Title Recall, I know we have mentioned it on several podcasts. Um, we try to play it whenever we're with a, a large group. Or even, matter of fact, the last night we were at the WBC, we played it in the hotel room with just Sean and Jackie. And we have a blast. That was awesome. Like, so much fun. And then, of course, we played one epic game of oh Letters from Whitechapel. It was me and you and TC and Sean and Jackie. Sean was... Um, and Luke. And Luke, six. yeah. Yep, six players. And Sean was was uh, Jack the Ripper, and if, if those of you who have not heard Letters from Whitechapel or don't know what it's about, it's basically a recreation of Jack the Ripper, his murders, and it's a uh, hidden movement game. So one person plays Jack, and five of the, up to five other people play the investigators searching Whitechapel for Jack on four different nights of his killings. Basically, you have got to track down and wrangle Jack before he can get back to his hideout on the fourth night. Uh, this game lasted. 
We had to actually take a break in the middle. It probably total last lasted a total of like six hours. It was way too long. It was awesome though. It was most epic game I've ever played of that. And we went off of. And I was so proud because we went off of one of my hunches about the end of the second night, and ended up sniffing a little bit of a trail. We got a little bit lucky towards the third end of the third night and the fourth night. We simply went with the area that I felt like Jack was hiding in. We roped it in, and like three rounds left to go, we managed to catch him. So it was right down to the wire. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, as if that Sean felt a little defeated because he had gotten so far oh, I know. as Jack. And then it was like... Oh, he did a great job. Deflated. I guess that's a better word. Yeah. It's a tough game sometimes. I think playing with five investigators is a lot of fun. Uh, but also it adds a lot of length to the game because the investigators are always debating... Um, always going back and forth. But again, if you haven't had a chance to play Letters from Whitechapel, fantastic game. I know it's out of print, but it'll hopefully be back in print soon. So anything else from Lancaster? What did I miss? We played um, Citadels. Oh, we did play Citadels. You yep. haven't played Citadels before. No, there are a few people who hadn't played Citadels. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Citadels. I've always been a big yeah, fan of it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's a good good game to play with a large group when you've got some time. Um, again, uh, highly recommend that kind of checking out if you like card games and hidden roll games that's one of those games where you're always just like you're going to get screwed over because you try to guess what somebody is and they're really not and it's a, it's a lot of fun yeah 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 it was fun yeah it was a lot of fun all right so you ready to move on mm-hmm. okay so we had a good time in lancaster but we didn't have much time to rest when we got back home because the next weekend we went up to dc washington dc and why were we there um, so we were there for the Labyrinth Celebration of Games, which this was actually the second year that it's occurred. Um, owner Kathleen Donahue has a birthday in August. Right. So last year it was suggested that um, there was a party at her store, and so she continued the tradition this year. And she very kindly invited us to be her guests um, at the event. We had a Dice Hate Me Games kind of time slot for about four hours. And also as um, guests in her home, which we really, really appreciate. Yep. Yeah, we had a really good time there. I think her store is fantastic. And she she jokes. It's but, clean. Yeah. That was her <laughs> joke. She's like, every time somebody comes to visit, they're like, oh, it's so clean. But it really is. It's it's super nice. The organization there is great. She Ikea has, furnished. Oh, yeah. Ikea furnished. She has tons of, like, wooden puzzles and, and, and uh, you know, like, classic games but also a good space dedicated to euro games and war games and and more the the hobby centric type of games that like we publish but um a, a great group of people who are there very community oriented people came out and rallied um so we got a chance to really have a good time we, we we've of course demoed and played heartland quite a bit carnival we actually got in half a game of viva java to show to some people and most importantly we played mars needs mechanics because yes. Ben, that's Ben Rossett's game, which actually will be launching on Kickstarter. August 31st. Right, so later on this week. Um, We had promised that we'd play the game. We had played the game when it was called The Market at the WBC last year. And since then, um, Nevermore Games has picked it up, which is wonderful because it's gone through, you know, some Mm fine-tuning and clearly a a theme change. Yeah. Before it was... You know, a market, a marketplace, market, right? Right. right? Um, and now it's Mars needs mechanics, which mechanics, as in the people, which I learned <laughs> that mechanic. This whole time, I've been thinking that mechanics meant 
like mechanics as in how to function. Right. She was stuck in game mode. Yeah. Mechanics. And the whole mechanics, which the, is pretty funny. It is kind of funny. It's very meta. Yeah. Or as you call it, meta. I do not call it meta. <laughs> Why are you making things up? I don't make things up. Yeah, you do. No. Anyways, that's the first thing we did um, on Saturday was make sure that we had a chance to play Mars Needs Mechanics, and it was awesome. Like, it's, I really, yeah. really like that game. It's a really, really good game. The core mechanics uh, are still there. The core mechanism that, that drives the game is, is still there that we played from the market, but they've added a lot of cool things to it, um, very thematic things to it. I'd say it's a hand management economic game. Yes. The economic em en engine is really the heart of it. Right. But, but you have to manage your, your cards, and the cards don't have words, which is awesome. Well, they have words, but they don't have any meaning to the game. Right, but I mean, like, they're not, like, cards <laughs> with words. Yes, they're very Euro, so you don't I have like to it. read anything. I like it. I know, you love it. The only thing I like to read are books. <laughs> so, again, uh, look for Morris Needs Mechanics on uh, Kickstarter on August 31st. I'm also preparing a full review of it for DiceHateMe.com, which will actually include a look back, a retrospective on how it used to be as the market and how it's changed into Morris Needs Mechanics. So that'll be fun. That'll be so fun. Won't that be so fun? That'll be so fun. Uh, there was also one surprise game that we played that I actually bought and have had a lot of fun with since I bought it, and that is Divinare. Which we actually learned about at the WBC. We did. From, from TC, TC and Sean. Was it TC and Sean who mm -hmm. played? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, do you want to describe this one? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take, it. I'll take the gander at this one. Divinari is actually a lot of fun. I, actually, I played it last night, as a matter of fact, when I was recording with the Geek All-Stars. All but um, Divinari is a deduction-slash-take-that game. And, and basically, the theme of it is a turn-of-the-century group of psychics who have gotten together and who are competing to be the best psychic in the group. There are four boards that come in the game, and each of them represent four different cards that are in this deck. Um, going from a, one that has uh, 12 different cards in the deck to one that only has six different cards in the deck. Well, you shuffle the cards up, and depending on how many people are playing, you, you deal out a certain number of cards. Let's say four players, each player will get six cards, and 12 cards are placed out of the game. So you don't know the full mix of the cards that are in the game. Well, on these boards, you place your little tokens that represent your player. And uh, at the beginning of a four-player game, you pass three cards to the right. So you're basically trying to uh, pass some cards that may not give a ton away about what you've already seen, but then you're going to be getting cards from the other person on the right, and that's going to give you a little bit more information about how many cards are in the game. Can I pause you for a moment? Sure. The goal of the game is to try and come as close to a guess as possible as to how many of each type of card is in the deck that you're playing with. Right. So by the end of that particular round, and there's four rounds in the game, you're trying to guess how many, again, of the yellows and greens and reds and blue cards that are being played. And they all have different um, numbers. So again, when it's your turn, you will play a card. Let's say I played on the yellow board that has the most cards in the game. I'd actually take my token and place it on the number that I feel like is, is going to be the final number that's played. Well, as the game's progress is a very simple concept but as the game progresses when you get down to four cards in a four player game you pass two to the right when you get down to two cards you pass one to the right so you can actually even toward the end of the game guide people who may be on that specific number on a board and when you play a card to that board you have to move your token yeah and i think that's the real 
that's the X factor. Yeah, that's the that X factor. Game, yeah, that totally. you have to move your token. So you may be kind of forced to move your token to a place that you don't want to because right. you have to move it. Right, if so you that's, play that card. That's that kind of take that screw you factor that's that's really makes the game kind of fun and more like I guess sort of a bar game than it is just a plain deduction game. Uh, but Divinari is a lot of fun. The production value on the game is fantastic. Um, the art is awesome. And I think the game is just a ton of fun. And matter of fact, when we played it yesterday, Todd, who's going to Antarctica, liked it so much that he finally he bought a copy and he got it for 21 bucks. So, again, out there, keep your eyes open for Divinari. I think it's worth the money, especially if you play with a, a group of people who like to just have fun and don't take games too seriously. So, so after we played all those games at Labyrinth, we actually went to one of Ben's friends Kristen's house for a little, a little cookout. Uh, it actually rained, so we were all kind of stuck inside. But that was kind of a neat way to just get involved with the community of D.C. and see some of the friends. We were uh, like rock stars. People thought it was so awesome <laughs> that we designed and published games. Yeah, they had no idea what to make of that, really. They were like, really? What did... Yeah, what is your thing? What, yeah. What's the theme? Like, what kind of game is it? How do you play it? Granted, you know? some of them were inebriated. Well, yes. But we were still rock stars, whatever. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a really good time hanging out with Ben and his friends, and then afterwards we went back to Ben's place and played for Sale, which neither of us had played before, but I always wanted to, and Last Call. Yeah, and they were both really, really good. A lot of fun. You like Last Call quite a bit. I do. Last Call is an interesting game as well. You want to summarize that? No, real fast? I'm awful no? at it. You're no, awful. I am. All right, so it's basically a bar bartending game where you're trying to make depending on what the cards are given to you, a certain type of mixed drink based on the bottles that are out there. And the bottles get passed back and forth between these six different bartenders. And it's all about, you know, calling out, you know, stop. And when you, you, you serve the bottle, you have to pass the bottle to another bartender. And when that specific mix gets on that person's uh, card, then you can call out and say you're mixing a drink and try to mix those drinks. So it's kind of frantic. It's a little... Uh, it puts you a little on edge, but it's a good kind of nervousness because you never know who's going to pass a bottle somewhere, if you're going to be able to make the drink that you want. Um, it's cool. Yeah, it is good, and it plays well with two players, too. It's even more frenetic with two. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, because normally you can't call out. What, what did it, what you call out? I don't know. Stop. You said stop, but it's not it's stop. It's not stop. Order. is order. Order, right. Yeah, you call out order when you want somebody to stop so you can actually move one of the bottles to somebody else and person says order well normally in, in more than two players you can't call out order when you're actually the one dealing the cards with a two-player game while you're dealing the cards you can call order so you can't really deal the cards and look at your own order mix so you have to remember kind of what you want and you call it out order when you don't really have an order and that happens sometimes but it's a lot of fun even with a two-player game mm -hmm. So I recommend giving it a shot if you get a chance to play Last Call from Watzel Pogue. We got a good deal on that game. Heck yeah, ten bucks. Ten bucks. That was a definitely. It's a good deal. ten dollar game. Definitely a good ten dollar game. I think it's a good fifteen. I'd probably fifteen dollars for it. I, and the only reason why, I mean, there, the component there are just a lot of plastic bottles. Yeah, little airline bottles. Yeah, almost. they're yeah. cute. It's pretty cute. All right, so we had a blast at D.C. Anyone who's in the D.C. metro area, we recommend you going to Capitol Hill and checking out Labyrinth Games and Puzzles. Labyrinth You'll want to buy everything, though. Oh, it's, yeah, they have they have a great selection. Again, super clean, super nice, super knowledgeable staff. 
Kathleen runs a very tight ship. And she's got this whole shelving system devoted just to demo copies of the game. Yes. So she invites customers to to go play games and, and see if they like them. And, then, and it and works. And buy them. And it works 100%. Yeah. I mean, I bought Divinare because we played a demo copy, and she sold a ton of carnivals off of people mm-hmm. who played demos there. So absolutely go. Uh, to Labyrinth, play the games, say hello to Kathleen from us, ask her, challenge her to Carnival, because she loves it. <laughs> she loves it, even yeah. though she says that she's never won yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how that works out. I don't know. So, after that, we came home, and what was it, I had like a day and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a day and a half until I actually had to load up and go to Gen Con. Which, unfortunately, Monkey was not able to go. She did not have But I did have the good fortune of having to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to, to drive me. you to the airport. Oh, yeah, it was good fortune, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, let me tell you, as many people as asked about you at Gen Con, you, you might as well have just have come because I think everybody wanted to see you instead of me. Oh, I doubt Aww, that's true. It is true. But it's probably true. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about Gen Con because Monkey wasn't there, but I will mention... No, no, I want to mention you know a few highlights. I mean, a lot of people have read about Gen Con. I, if you want to know more kind of a pictorial view of the things that I saw there, go to DiceHateMe.com right now. I have a lot of, of pictures of my adventures there and some of the demos and things that were going on. But uh, mostly what I did at Gen Con was actually pay Viva Java. Um, that was kind of cool. I mean, I got there on Tuesday with to help out the Game Salute crowd... And was able to hang out and, you know, uh, actually get to know Tom Vassell a little bit better. Um, you know, spend more time with David McKenzie of Clever Mojo Games. Fred showed up the next day. Um, it was actually a really good time to be able to just kind of hang out and, and see people. Uh, also, um, uh, Eric Martin was there from the area. Dan Patrice. Um, uh, Adam O'Brien. So we're all able to kind of get together and game quite a bit, but mainly what I did while I was there was demo Viva Java. And I was just amazed at the number of people who signed up and came out to play Viva Java. Uh, Dan Patrice helped out run some of the, the demo games of Viva Java. He was also helping a little bit in the Game Salute area, uh, demo and things like Alien Frontiers, uh, things like that. But we had, I think, all told, about seven, possibly eight scheduled demos of Viva Java, and almost all of them were full. A couple of them I played in, and they were absolutely epic. So much fun. Uh, we had a group that actually came back on the last day because they enjoyed playing Viva Java so much they wanted to play it again. So every single person that came out had a great time. We had several pre-orders that were uh, made of the game while uh, or after we had played the game. Uh, so... We're really looking forward when Viva Java hits stores, and that's going to be hopefully in the next month. We're about to Kickstarter backers hopefully by the middle of September, uh, hitting stores in October. Again, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, Jason Katarski also showed up on Friday and stayed till Saturday, and he did. Uh, I mean, probably like twenty-five to thirty demos of Heartland Hauling. Wow. Yeah, he met a ton of people. Uh, it constantly people just coming by the game salute booth wanting to try it out, seeing the game, had heard about it, and, and almost every single one of those people went to Kickstarter to back it or were already backers just curious about the game, and they spread a lot of the word. So that was really cool. Um, being able to hang out with David and Fred, of course, was great. I met Rick Collins, who's one of the people who uh, uh, does playtesting for Clever Mojo Games. He also has a game in development with Clever Mojo right now, which is Scrap Bots. 
Um, I didn't know that. Yes, he does indeed. I, that was uh, Rick I was rooming with. Uh, my oh, roommate. okay. Yeah. Your room, roommate. My roommate. My roomie. I roomed with Tom Bassel the first night, and then he moved closer to... And then his, to, your snoring was too loud. Yeah, yeah. It must have been too much for him. But he had another room that he was sharing with some people after Tuesday night. Um, and then Rick moved in, and uh, we got to know each other really well throughout the time we were... Really? Spent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I mean, really. Like, really well? <laughs> well, not That's that well. That's weird. Shut your face. That's weird. <laughs> Uh, Ken Grazer and Sam were there, of course. They were fantastic. Spent a lot of time with them. Um, got to spend a lot of time with the Game Sleep group. We went to dinner. Uh, Adam and Dan Patrice and I went to dinner with Ben Rossett, who was there. He had scheduled a, a big gathering for game designers, which included Jeremiah Lee, which I met for the first time, designer of uh, Zombie in My Pocket. Matt Warden was there. Designer. Oh, yeah, you didn't tell me about Matt. Is he cool? Matt's Make cool. It- yeah. It's official if you're saying it on the podcast. Matt was very down to earth, a good guy to talk to. Matt, of course, being the designer of Jumpgate, um, working on tons of other games right now. Um, it was really good to to meet him and just talk with him and get to know him. It was it was cool to put faces to names. A couple other people that I finally got to put a face to a name: Grant Rodiek, the designer of Farmageddon; uh, AJ Porfirio, who was the, who's the designer of If I'm Going Down. Um, AJ was probably actually the most normal person I met at Gen Con. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, really. I'm not going to get myself in trouble. It's just, you know, when you meet people, you're not sure exactly what, you know, how they're going to be, things like that, which every single person I hung out at Gen Con was fantastic. But AJ is just like, he's like a guy you pull off the street and drop into the middle of like a furry convention or something. You know, you you never. A what convention? You know what furries are? No. You know what furries are? No. Well, imagine a bunch of people dressed up in, like, giant mascot costumes. So he would do that? That no. makes him normal? No, what I'm saying oh. is, like, it's like the everyman that's dumped into the middle of this kind of crazy atmosphere. And that's what Gen Con feels like sometimes. But anyway, so I got to meet AJ. Um, also got to hang out, and uh, we had a, a dinner scheduled at Buca de Beppo on Friday night, which is... Buca de what? Uh, Buca de Beppo. It's a family-style Italian restaurant. Uh, Brian and John from Nevermore scheduled that and had a ton of people. We ended up having so many people that I had to sit in the kids' booth with uh, Jason Katarski. Yeah, it was actually pretty fun. Jason, um, Rick, Mark Spector, and Fred, we all sat together and shared some stuff, had a big brownie sundae. Um, you all shared a brownie sundae? We did. Yep. I don't understand. So you got to know these people really well, uh-huh. and then you share big brownie sundaes. Yeah, it was awesome. It was what? great. What's the problem? There's no problem. <laughs> so also got a chance to uh, get to know Michael Mendez from Tasty Minstrel a Games. A little better, like a you little know everybody better. else a little That's bit. That's right. I know them all a little better. <laughs> and Seth Jaffe and their friend Naomi and Chris Schreiber was there. Um, tons of people. Brian Fromm. Uh, I mean, I, I can't mention hardly everybody. There. Oh, uh, Lance, Un- the Undead Viking. He was there. It sounds like you've just won... Won an Oscar. I know. That's what I'm trying to think. I'd like to thank my mom and my dad <laughs> and thank God up above that I went to get a Gen Con. Anyway, everyone there was fantastic. We had a really good time. I don't want to spend a ton of time like name dropping and talking about people that, that I met, but we had tons of Heartland Hauling plays. We had tons of Eva Java plays. I got to play the latest build of Princes of the Dragon Throne, which is Fred McKenzie's design. Uh, should be on Kickstarter soon from Clever Mojo Games. 
Um, we got to play a four-player game of that, and Dan Patrice actually played, and Dan won. It was a very tight game between me and him at the very end, and I think Dan won because he's actually really good at deck-building games. So that's a testament to that game that is an area control, a base area control game with a small deck-building mechanic, and Dan was able to maximize his uh, deck-building, his, his deck, and use his prowess from deck-building to really push ahead in that game. So I think it's going to appeal to a wide group of gamers. It's an awesome game. It's a fantastic game. Um, let's see, is there anybody else that I... Oh, well, uh, Patrick and Michael Cove, or Patrick... Nicole and Michael Cove from Crash Games were there, of course. Um, uh, what else? Oh, I'll just mention the ones that I picked up. I, I Since I was an exhibitor and helping out with Game Sloop Booth, I was able to go in early. So I was lucky enough to go and pick up a copy of Netrunner the first day. Um, I got a copy of Seasons before it sold out as well. Um, I visited the booth for Two Lantern Games, met Brett who designed Morels, which I brought home. And I got to meet Ben Harkin who uh, designed Legacy Gears of Time. And we did a, a game exchange where he's gave me Legacy. I'm going to send him a copy of Eva Java a little bit later. Um, some of those we've not played since I came back, but others we have, such as Seasons. Yes, which is awesome, even though those are cards with words. Cards with words, exactly, which but, are usually anti-cards with words. But it's manageable because you you know that you're only going to have probably between 9 to 12 cards with words to deal with. And you get to read them, 9 of them, before you start playing the game, so you're familiar with what you have. That's True. my issue with cards with words, is that they like come upon you, and then you're like, what does this mean? But cards with words, the more you play them, the more you know them in, in, anyway. The more you That's know. why you're afraid to draft in Seasons right now. I don't like drafting <laughs> cards. But you like Seven Wonders. No, the words. Oh, well, they don't have words, just as icons, that's true. Yeah, no, I don't like card drafting. Makes you life, don't even know. It makes life too difficult. What game Just have you played where you card draft that has cards with words? Things. No. What game? I have. I'm I calling you out. I no, I'm calling you out right now. I probably blocked it out you're, as a painful memory. You're full of crap. It's a painful memory. <laughs> um, you don't even know. I do. What? I can't remember. Say it. Just like I couldn't remember Dragonheart. <laughs> you don't know what it's called? You just know it exists? Yeah. I don't think you've done that, but anyway. No, I, I do. Yeah. Because anyway. I don't like it. Anyway, Seasons. Do you recommend Seasons? Yes. Get Seasons. It's really pretty, and it's really fun. It's a beautiful game. It will be a full review on DiceHateMe.com, coming real soon, possibly this week. Um, to describe Seasons, I can only say that it's like a cross between Seven Wonders, Magic, and uh, some sort of Euro game that you never played with some real random dice, which is not doing justice at all to the game at all. You did a great job of saying that it was beautiful. Uh, it's a very elegant play system. I think they've done a fantastic job with the entire game. I highly recommend any of you checking it out. And again, we'll have a more detailed review on DiceHateMe.com coming soon. We also played Morels. I like Morels. Morels is a very, uh, very, very good two-player game. Very interesting. It's all about foraging for mushrooms. Yeah, I'd love to talk with the designer. It's an interesting theme. Um, there are some interesting mechanics in the game. Yes, very. So, I don't... I'm going to be honest, the first time I played, I was like, meh. Second time, I liked it a little bit better. Um, it, yeah. it took a play to grow on me. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'd play it right now. Yeah, I got a chance to play it yesterday with Adam O'Brien, too, just to get a different perspective. And, 
I mean, did he, he like it? Yeah, he liked it quite a bit, and uh, he played it very cutthroat, which we hadn't necessarily played 100% cutthroat, but he knew right off the bat, like he saw um, Meek picking up a mushroom, and so he started picking up those mushrooms. Oh, I did that. Yeah, but he did it like with that gleam in his eye. You did. Oh, I did it subtly, so you wouldn't even you know. know. What thing? He actually. It wasn't that far discrepancy in scores, but uh, he managed to pick up in in the game. Also, when you're when you're foraging, there's a separate night deck, which means that you can forage at night. If you get the moon cards, that allows you to pull from the night deck, and the cards themselves actually act as two mushrooms of a certain type that are on there. He managed to pick up almost the entire night deck. What? Yeah, was, was that insane. his strategy? Well, I think it it really was, but it, it just kind of fell into the way the cards fell out in the, in the forest and the way he was able to pick things up. Um, he was able to get a lot of the moons and really just maximize that night deck. So, again, I'll have a review on DissectMe.com before, before too long on Morels because I think the people really need to know this. Mm-hmm. It's such a good two-player game. It's kind of like... You know, Jaipur to me is a really good two-player game. A mainstay two-player yeah. game. Yeah, and I absolutely. think this is one that should be in anybody's library that, you know, for gamers who tend to play with probably a significant other, right. typically, um, or you just happen to have one gaming buddy that you play with a lot, um, this is, I think this should be in the library. Absolutely. A must-buy for, for people who play a lot of two-player games. Absolutely. So, we have not had a chance yet to play Netrunner, which I don't know if I'm be able to convince you to play in the first place. I hope so, because it's fantastic. I don't like the name. I know, but just pretend like it's a Euro and we're harvesting, like, carrots or something instead what? of running the net. I'll, I'll call it, instead of resing, we'll call it something Yeah, that you said all these words. <laughs> I was joking. It's, it makes it sound like a anti-word, which is actually really strange, because, well, you know, I was a lit major. Um, you're anti-geek. Geek words, I think, because yeah. like Netrunner has words like res and, and of course, running the net and doing a run and subroutines and all this other That's stuff. That's a different language. It's very, very heavy in theme, especially in the language that it uses. So you have to get past that to kind of uh, really dig into the game. But I think you're going to like it. It's one of the best uh, collectible card games of the 90s and now has been turned into a living card game. I'm very excited to try it. Also, did you get a chance to play Legacy Gears of Time yet? But I really want to play it. It's got some fascinating gameplay. That looks gameplay. really cool. Cool components, the way everything fits together on Absolutely. the board. Absolutely. So I'm hoping we'll get to play that pretty soon. So, again, those won't, those reviews won't be as soon as Seasons and Morels, but we'll get a chance to play them before too long. So um, that's pretty much it for Gen Con. Uh, oh, I, di- I will mention that I did get to play uh, Tom Vassell and Steve Avery's game, Nothing Personal, which I'm doing the graphic design for, and I actually... I really, really liked it. Uh, they've done a great job with uh, streamlining the gameplay. Uh, the The card mix is really cool. It has a lot of social aspects, but but a lot of combo type things you can do with the cards. The cards have words on them, like real words, like real words, but they're not complicated words. It's not a whole <laughs> bunch of crazy stuff going on. It's a lot of just putting influence in different places. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Glad I got a chance to play that. Also got a chance to uh, play. Um, Story Realms with Julian and Angie, who have been uh, developing that game for quite some time. It's a storytelling game, and I had a really good time playing that game. It's a hybrid uh, board-slash-storytelling game, and we actually built a hamapult during the middle of the game to sling a ham to lure these little critters away from the person we were trying (laughs) to save. So that was a lot of fun. Did you make that up, or is that actually one of the pieces of equipment? I made that up. Well, I, I, I managed to 
pull a magic ham from my pocket and then a magic ham a magic ham yes that's pretty awesome and the other person who was a kind of a gadgeteer who builds gizmos and stuff she built a a hamapult to launch the ham far enough away from us so that the little critters ran away from the person nice. to eat the ham so it was a lot of fun that does sound like fun yeah it surely was um, so that about wraps it up, I guess, uh, for our convention recaps. Again, if someone, if I've missed someone that I met at Gen Con, I apologize. I just had a blast seeing so many people there. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly he's even forgotten to tell me that he met some people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there are even more people that I keep meeting that I keep forgetting to mention. Oh, so I know who else I forgot. Uh, I actually got to meet again, Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback, the guys who designed Fleet. Again, one of the best games I've played all year. Got a chance to sit down and play a game of the real production copy of Fleet with with Matt. Uh, Rick Collins was in on that game, and it was really, really tight for a while there. Um, Matt, of course, being the, the king of efficiency, and obviously it's his game. So it was really uh, a fun game to play with him. He managed to pull it out at the end, I think because... Uh, we could have almost beaten him if Rick had one more dollar to win that final uh, blind auction. Not blind auction, but that final auction that would have prevented Matt from getting a King Crab license that totally obliterated us in points. But it was a lot of fun to be able to play with Matt and for uh, Ben to be there and just hang out and have a good time with those guys. Again, Fleet. One of the forerunners for Dice Hate Me Game of the Year. I can't wait to get our actual copy and continue to play with it at home uh, with with the real cards. They look fantastic. They shuffle well. And I think everyone out there who has backed Fleet or will continue to back Fleet throughout the year is not going to be disappointed. Uh, that's going to be it for our kind of convention coverage now we're kind of winding down. We don't have anywhere else to travel. However, we do have one more con to go through this year. Yes, which very fortunately is about a 10-minute walk from our house. Absolutely. We don't have to drive. Right. And it's the, um, it's the expo put on by the Escapist. Um, it'll be the first year that they're having this convention. Um, it will be held at the Durham Convention Center from September 14th through 16th. And actually, Chris and I will be on... A couple of panel discussions on the 15th, the Saturday. I'll have one on Friday. Oh, yeah, you have one yeah. on Friday as well. Um, Game Salute will be there, and um, John Moeller of Car Trunk, his Unpub, will be there, which that's really exciting. Yep. Um, but I believe that we will, the group that I just mentioned is kind of the, the tabletop um, representation there. Um, for any of you who are not as familiar, which I was not, um, The Escapist is more video-centric. A little bit, yeah. Digital-centric. They try to do RPGs and tabletop, but they're a little more video-game-centric. Right, but. so I, I believe a lot of the expo will will focus on that, but they are trying to to draw a tabletop um, crowd as well. Right. So. so if you're local and you want to come out, check it out. Highly recommend it. We'll be there. Uh, Sherilyn will probably only be... A, Really on Saturday. on Saturday, but I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. John Muller will be there all three days. If you have uh, an unpublished game that you'd like to bring to the unpub and show off and get feedback from both designers and the public, I highly recommend you do that. It'll be an open system. Sit down, mention to John, do you want to play it? We'll have the big blue noodle there. 
I will also be running uh, demos of Viva Java and Heartland, uh, Great Heartland Holland Company and Carnival there. I'll have all those with me, so we'll have that in open gaming. Come out, challenge us to a game, and we'll, we'll, we'd love to play with you. So, again, Durham Convention Center, September the 14th through the 16th. Uh, go to uh, Google and search for the Escapist Expo. So, we have two other things that we'd like to mention. Uh, one is Viva Java. Hopefully it's dropping soon. Uh, supposedly the ship was supposed to come in this week. We haven't gotten word of that quite yet, but it'll have to go through or excuse me, have to go through customs, and then that will be sent over to uh, Game Salute to be disseminated to Kickstarter backers as soon as it's hit the warehouse. After that, we'll hopefully have it out to stores who have pre-ordered or any other pre-orders that have gone out. If you've not pre-ordered a copy of Viva Java yet, go to GameSalute.com, search for the store. And you can see Viva Java on there. Uh, anyone who pre-orders now until the end will have a chance to in be entered into a drawing for a free expansion. However, they are very limited. So uh, the people who have pre-ordered, you're not guaranteed to get them, but you will be entered into uh, a drawing for it. Um, also, we have how many days? Like nine days? Nine days left for Heartland? Uh, I don't know. The sixth is when it Yeah, I think ends. we have about nine days left for the Great Heartland Hauling Company. Uh, we have about $18,800 right now. We have a stretch goal set for 22.5 For truck eeples. Truck eeples. We want to be able to put truck eeples in every box. Those are wo little wooden trucks that will replace the uh, punch board trucks that would normally come with the game. So if you can go out there, if you've backed the Great Heartland Holland Company, we greatly appreciate it. And if you have, please spread the word to everyone you can think. Go on Facebook. Make sure that you're telling uh, everyone in your social networks to come and back uh, Great Heartland Holland Company. If you've not backed Great Heartland Holland Company, please check it out on Kickstarter. If you have any questions about us about it, send us an email directly. Let us know, and um, we we just thank everyone for coming out. We're really excited about this game, and Jason is super excited as well. Um, he's just been stoked the entire time he he spent at Gen Con. It was it was like a dream come true. <laughs> So, again, we also mentioned that Mars Needs Mechanics will be starting on August 31st from Nevermore Games. Again, we highly recommend that, uh, and there will be a more detailed review of that on DiceHateMe.com coming up soon. All right, so you ready to wrap it up, Monkey? Sure. Yeah, sure? Mm -hmm, sure. Okay. Do you think that maybe we won't spend as much time away from everyone next time? Now that we can talk. Well, maybe we'll have an after or even a during expo show. Oh. Ooh. Oh, isn't that oh. fancy? Do you want to come out and talk to we, us? Could we, like, live or record the panel discussion? Oh, we could, yeah. That would be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. As long as we sound smart. Well, yeah, if it's kind of dumb, we won't If you show can it. sound smart, then <laughs> maybe we can make that well, happen. Well, there, there's two different ones that we're involved with. We'll actually take the portable recorder and see if we can get some sound bites from those. Also, if you're around at the, at the expo, want to talk to us, want to come up and get on the podcast, just find one of us and uh, we'll have the recorder there and, and get you on, on, on the air. My guess is that we'll be wearing Dice Hate Me shirts. Yes, that would be a good guess. So if you need to find us, you know. Look for the giant angry dice. Right. Or the little monkey. What? Yeah. Everybody will know who the little monkey is. Show your face. <laughs> Maybe I'll put a fez. Shut I'll make you wear a fez. Your face. <laughs> I don't look like a monkey, people. Yes, she does. Okay, so until next time, if you want to know more about us, our upcoming projects, or would just like to chat about board games, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm Dice Hate Me. And now Monkey238.
person who's not always on Twitter. That's <laughs> true. And don't forget to check out DiceHateMe.com for those reviews of Smash Up coming real soon, as in after this podcast. Also reviews of Seasons, Legacy, and much, much more coming up very, very soon. So until next time, this is Dice Hate Me and Monkey238 saying thanks for listening. And may all your rolls be sixes. sixes.